0: give God a prayer for blessing the spiritual meal.
1: Heavenly Father,
0: thank you for gathering us together. Thank you for opening up the church throughout the country. And then we pray that all those who gather in physically, as well as those who gather online, we shall be united by one Holy Spirit, worshiping you, loving you, giving you our praise and thanks, and now opening our mind to receive your instructions. May your truth Bring understanding and obedience. We'll pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're studying 2 Corinthians Faithfulness Through Ministry, Part 10. Paul's nuclear option with a quotation mark. We only have 11 verses. So should we have a short service? Cross your fingers, right? I always hope so, but whenever it's short, I try to
1: open up and add
0: a little thing, and then it's never short. So it's good, you know. Abilene Bible Church is known for providing a full service, right? <laughs> Comprehensive. Okay, okay. The book is roadmap. Now we have a full one. Uh, the epistolary prologue, which is basically the pro the beginning, okay, uh, in which Paul says that he is an apostle chosen by God. In other words, it was not his choice. And then you who are reading this should not ignore him. (laughs) Okay. And then he defends his character uh, of faithfulness. He may change his plans, but he is definitely not fickle. Okay. And then he defends his ministry as a ministry of new covenant, as we just mentioned. Old covenant, new covenant. They're all good, but they have qualitative difference. All right, one is conditional and the other is unconditional. One is external, the other is internal. Right, one is physical, the other is spiritual. So um, that is the the, the the difference that brought the the blessing for the new covenant, new covenant church. That's us. Okay, that has never been experienced by Israel before. Okay. And uh, um, the, in, the New Covenant reveals Christ's glory in the saints. We already have Christ's life. We already have his glory. It's in us. The problem is that our flesh and our fleshliness work as a, uh, well, a, a vessel of pottery that hides the glory of Christ from others. We don't live it out, uh, or at least, at least not fully out. So this, however, is temporary. When we get the new body, the life of Christ will shine through. Okay? And then this is a promise that it definitely will happen. You have Christ now, you will have him forever. Okay? And this is wonderful uh, grace, undeserved, but definitely promised and it's real. Therefore, what should be our response to the new covenant, to this ministry? Be grateful. Therefore, the rest will flow naturally. Okay, Your good works is the result of having been saved, not the, the condition to become saved. Right. So if you have true faith, which got you saved, you should have good works, which is an outflow of the new life. The works is not a condition to be saved. It's the working out of your salvation. Okay, So um, that is the new covenant ministry. And then Paul goes to a practical level. He practices the ministry of reconciliations. He first of all prays God for um, his so-called severe letter. We remember he, he, he wrote four letters to Corinth, right? A previous letter... Mentioned in the first Corinthians, which is actually the second letter. A severe letter, which was not preserved, and then we have the second Corinthians, which mentions the severe letter. Okay. And um, God must have a good reason of giving us only two of the four. Okay. I think the others are just probably too personal and uh, not necessary for us. But what God gave us is sufficient. And uh, um, the the Corinthians they were Paul's spiritual children. He loved them. He was proud of them, for they were really blessed, rich in both gifts and wealth, and they could do great things. He planned for them to do great things. What was it? That they would donate a large amount of money to the mother church, the Jewish church in Jerusalem. Why do this? These Gentiles giving to the Jews, these daughter church giving to the mother church, shouldn't the mother parents always take care of their children, as we do. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> um, um, well, the problem at that time is that there was a tension between the Jewish faction and the, the Gentile faction of the church. Okay? And the Jewish faction always felt they were superior. Because everything comes to the Jews first. The gospel comes to them first. True. Okay? Uh, and the uh, um, for them to humble down, recognize that they and the Gentiles stand on equal ground uh, before Christ, that takes some lesson. Okay, But how do you let them do that? You don't bring them down by harming them, right? <laughs> what you do is go through the, the, the life of the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes is the blueprint for a new humanity, for Christians. For the spiritual kingdom members. And uh, there are eight stations of of life. You go through them. You can measure your success or fulfillment by that. And uh, the, uh, the, the Beatitudes tells us that Christians need to become what? Humble, right? Meek, merciful, and peacemakers right? And uh, even though to those who don't deserve and haven't done good to you, okay? So what did the Jewish church produce? Okay, there were a few people from Jerusalem who claimed themselves to be super apostles, greater than Paul, okay? And then they uh, have done nothing but evil to the churches that he has founded. They, they ravaged them. And then, um, and then Paul, okay, turn them around. These people are now hurt by certain Jews. But what should you do? Should you take revenge? Should you hate all Jews because the work of a few Jews? No, you cannot do that. What should you do? You forgive them, but you guard against them. <laughs> and you do good to them. And you give them the only thing good they recognize, money. Okay? And only then they may feel you are different because of Christ. And when they take serious, take Christ seriously, they will change. They will become great Christians. Okay. That was Paul's plan. He had a great plan for the, for, for the uh, Corinthians to do that because they are rich, both in, what? Both in gifts, spiritual gifts, and money. But that plan was spoiled <laughs> by these super puzzles. And a year time, they haven't done anything. No preparation. So Paul is ready to go to Jerusalem soon. And he's telling them, you better restart it. Okay, we, we play the cards we have been dealt with. Okay, we recognize what's past and past. But you got to restart it. You have to do preparation now. Okay, that was his urge in them, to them in chapters 8 and 9. Okay, and now we are in chapter 10. Okay, in from chapter 10 to 13, Paul defends his apostleship against the Judaizers, he's ready for war. So, in this section, the chapter divisions are not agreeing with what I believe are the groups of meanings. So, I will use the up. Uh, numbers now, okay. So it will not agreeing with the chapter divisions. Okay? So that's one of the correspondences. Uh, one of the characteristics of Second Corinthians. The book was written in a hurry. It's it was written on the go. It was not a well-designed structure like Romans. Okay. So it is kind of uneven. Each sec- sectors are uneven. Some are larger, some are smaller, and so on, so on. Um, and and the, the it seems to be a little bit disordered. And that's why the division, the sectioning, has been hard for Bible interpreters. And there is no universal agreement. Unlike in Romans, is everybody agree with that structure? For this, no. Okay. And uh, uh, I guess that is simply... Well, um, the facts of life, okay? So I'm going to go with my sectioning, which do not agree with the section, chapter division, okay? So today we are doing only 11 verses in chapter 10. And uh, in that, Paul warns of the possible use of his boldness, with a quotation mark, which I called it the nuclear option. <laughs> Have you heard about that? The nuclear option. Of course, it starts from the war, right? All options are on the table, okay? Okay. And I actually heard this from our Congress. I think it was a decade ago. They were... Uh, they In the Senate, it's supposed to be, uh, you know, 51, and then you, you, you pass, okay, the majority rule. However, they made a rule to have 60 votes in order to put something on the agenda. And that... They say, okay, it's because the Senate should be more mature. We need to be more outer uh, um, like and in agreement and so on. But the problem is the country was so divided, it was it makes almost impossible to have anything done. Okay. So uh, I think they have changed it right now. I think one side changed it and the other side agreed to change it. Fine. So um, they called it making changing the rule to make it back to what is supposed to be 51 vote. Okay. Um, as the nuclear option. okay So that's where I heard it. But anyway, it's something a big deal. It's kind of, it's like a shocker. Okay. So that's what I'm using it for. just to catch your attention okay. the nuclear option. Okay. All right. Um, not long ago, I think it was Peggy who collected this and Deborah put this on our already I think on the back of our bulletin. Many of you may have read it, but I think it's relevant and it's worth repeating here okay, slumbering Christians who happen to be honest might sing hymns in this way, okay, I surrender some rather than I surrender all, okay, fill my spoon, Lord, rather than fill my cup, Lord, Uh, that means I don't want to work on anything, okay, and oh, how I like Jesus rather than (laughs) oh, how I love Jesus. It's a feeling, there's no commitment. Okay? And then he is quite a bit to me, not he is everything to me. Okay, And uh, I love to talk about telling the story, rather than I love to tell the story. Okay? Take my life and let me be, don't bother me. Okay, um, Rather than take my life and let it be, what? Consecrated all to thee. And uh, this is my secret that God can, uh, what God can do, rather than the, it is no secret what God can do, because you don't tell, so it can be your secret. Yeah. And there is scattered cloudiness in my soul today, rather than there is sunshine in my soul today, <laughs> and onward Christian reserves, <laughs> rather than... <laughs> Onward, Christian soldiers; <laughs> they never get ready for battle. Okay, and uh, uh, when he leaves me, I will consider following. Okay, rather than when he leaves me, I will follow. And just as I pretend to be, rather than just as I am, like put on a facade, rather than really bearing your chest. And uh, when the sins go sneaking in. You know, rather than when the saints go marching in. I guess when you're late for church, you sneak in. <laughs> so, these are telling our level. There's a distance between what we are and what the ideal is. Okay, And I think it's a reality, and all of us have a gap. Okay, Nobody is 100% sanctified yet. Right? That only happens when what? When we're resurrected. Okay, And uh, before then, we all have a distance. But, When you have too much, the the distance is too much and keeps it too long and there's no change. We call these Christians slumbering, okay? And or some call them backsliding, okay? Uh, They're still Christians. They may be saved, but there's no proof of it, okay? So for these people, if God has mercy, he might send them a shocker, (laughs) a nuclear option to wake them up. (laughs) That actually is the mercy of God, okay? His sons, he will discipline. If it's not his, he won't. He will leave them be. Okay. Okay. So, this this is the background. Okay, or the the appetizer. Okay, for today's meal. Okay, in ten one, Paul mentioned a nuclear option. Now I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I who am meek. When face to face with you, but bold toward you when absent. Okay, with the acclamation mark. So I think after that long dash is um, kind of like a quotation. Is what they are saying about him. Okay, and uh, Paul lives by the beatitudes, being meek and gentle in general, especially to fellow believers. However, Paul has a severe side. He always has a rep- he already has a reputation of being meek in person when face to face, but bold in on paper when absent and writing on paper. Okay, uh, so in other words, his letters are mighty, and but his person is unimpressive. That's what they're saying. Okay? He already has this reputation. He has. He, as an apostle, has the authority and the power to do church discipline. Okay? You know, authority and power are different. It's like the badge and the gun of the, of the policeman. The badge is the authority. The gun is the power. Okay, Christians, why do we have the authority and power to drive out demons? Where does your authority come from? Being a son of God, you are fellow heir with Christ, right? You are son, and what are angels? Servants, right? So you have higher authority, but do you have the power? I may not want to listen to you. How do you have the power? By being filled with the Holy Spirit, right? So you believe in Jesus, Holy Spirit is already in you, but you need to be filled. In other words, let him control all of you, okay? Drain the the, the dirty things. Confess your sins. And then ask the Holy Spirit who is in you to fill you. And then believe that this is a prayer in God's will. Because it is God's will. God said, be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? It is His will. So if you pray in God's will, will it be listened? And it's guaranteed to be listened. So you, by faith, believe that after you confess and you ask, you have already been filled by the Holy Spirit. And now He's giving you a still small voice. You listen, you sense the leading, you follow, you obey, and then you're going to see the goodness of God, okay? And then it's going to confirm this sense that this is what I feel when I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, okay? That's how you grow, okay? This, it's not that difficult. It's not that hard to understand. It's just to practice, okay, and practice consistently. And, and that is uh, hard, okay? So Paul has the authority, as an apostle, and the power, because it filled with the Holy Spirit, he can do church discipline, which means to excommunicate, or anathema, to put a curse. Okay. And his church discipline can affect not only the position of the discipline in this life, but even eternity. Okay. And uh, uh, Paul, uh, God, Christ said similar things to Peter. In Matthew fifteen, Matthew sixteen, um, verse fifteen to nineteen. Okay? Uh, he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar Jonah. Elsewhere it says Simon, son of John. Maybe his father is both John or Jonah. And Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. He says that you said right, Simon, and uh, it is not from you, it's from my Father who revealed it to you. Okay? And from now on, I will call you Peter. Which in Greek is petros, petros. It means a small rock, a pebble. Okay, and then he says, but on this rock, which in Greek was petra, petra. Okay, which means a giant boulder. So Peter is not this rock. Okay, he is a pebble. This is a boulder. Peter has something good, hard, strong in him. He him. Jesus calls him a a small rock. But it's on this giant rock that I will build my church. And what is giant rock is diverse in interpretation. Somebody say it is Christ himself. He is the foundation, the cornerstone of the church, right? While well, the apostles are foundations, right? And then some say that it is the faith, right? Before that Paul just, I mean Peter just confessed, you are the Christ." The Son of the Living God. It's on that faith the church is built. I think this one makes the the best sense. Okay. Of course, the Catholics said it's on Peter, who is the first Pope, as they say. But again, you know, nobody was a Pope called a Pope until after 590, Gregory the First. So it wasn't really Roman Catholicism, it was just a, a one church in the universal church. So, um, I don't follow that. Okay, and now in verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. So, what was said to Peter is for the whole universal church, which is a collection of all born-again believers. Those who are in it, the universal church, are going up. Those who are out of it are going down. Okay? And uh, um, church discipline is for love and correction, but unrepented ones are actually kept out of heaven, and uh, uh, that, that's not losing salvation, but being proven that they have never been saved. As John said in First John, Those who have left us were never part of us. Okay, And uh, uh, in verse 2, Paul said, I ask that when I am present, I need not be bold with the confidence with which I propose to be courageous against some who regard us as if we walked according to the flesh. So Paul asked the Corinthians not to force his hand. He does not want to use his authority as he does not want to use his rights. You know, he have a right to being paid. He did not use them, okay, because he, he figured it's not good for these people, so he won't use it. So now he's saying, I have an authority, but I don't want to use it, okay, um, as an apostle and the power uh, for being filled with the Holy Spirit. He doesn't want to use that in the way of boldness because it does, th- th- this does not mean that he cannot, okay, he can't. Uh, but for those who follow the super apostles, the Judaizers, who claim to be sent by James in Jerusalem, and they they made big trouble for the church, and uh, they turned from grace back to the law and regarded Paul as walking in the flesh, that means having no spiritual power, for these people, he said he was ready to use the nuclear option, okay, and uh, did Nuclear options happen in church history. I said yes. There are quite a few. Okay? Uh, the heresies condemned by the universal church councils are indeed condemned forever. If the church of uh, the Council of Jerusalem in Acts 15, which happened in A.D. 49, is the zero universal church council, the following four and even seven are regarded by all or major. Branches of Christianity as universal church, uh, universal councils. The first four councils are the First Council of Nicaea in 325, the First Council of Constantinople in 381, the Council of Ephesus in 431, the Council of Chalcedon in 451. These are agreed by all branches of Christianity as universal councils, including the Catholic and Protestant. They are one side, the Western side, and the Eastern Orthodox, which is the Eastern side. But there was an also a Oriental Orthodox, okay, which is we're talking about from European point of view. Okay, what is east of them is the Middle East. So we're talking about Egypt and Syria, the Syrian Orthodox Church and Egyptian Coptics, They're considered the Oriental uh, Orthodox. Okay, they do not follow the Fourth Council's decision. But they believe they are also Orthodox. They're non-Chalcedonian Orthodox. There's another branch, the Nestorians. They're called the Eastern Church. They prospered in Persia for many years later. And uh, um, all of them agree with the first three at least. Some with the first four. And then um, the three major ones, Eastern Orthodox, Roman Catholic, and the Protestants. we uh, We also accept the fifth to the seventh. The, the fifth is the Second Council of Constantinople in 553. It is important because it condemned the, the semi-Pelagianism, which is what Catholicism turned out to be. Okay? And then the Third Council of Constantinople in 680 uh, and the Second Council of Nicaea, which in, was in 787. Okay, But these are not accepted by the Oriental Orthodox okay, nor the Eastern Church. And then The Catholics actually accept 21 universal councils, but they are not, you know, anything beyond the seven were not accepted by the Eastern Orthodox and the Protestant. So at least we agree the first few universal councils, the heresies that they condemned are indeed um, that of the lost people. So here's a chart that I have shown you before. Uh, the doctrinal swings on Christology, emphasizing his humanity or his divinity. And they swing big time in the beginning and get lesser and lesser later. And finally, it settled in the, in the orthodoxy position. Okay? The Ebionism, Ebion means uh, poor man. So Ebionism was a Jewish sect. They believed that Jesus was born a poor man and he came to say it. poor man. <laughs> And uh, he was a mere human, he's not God, so emphasizes humanity to the extreme. The other side, the narcissism, and a special kind called Docetism, which means ghosts. Okay, they believe that Christ is nothing but a spirit, he has no body, <laughs> and uh, and that is uh, the, the other side. Okay, and uh, to the extreme, then you have monarchianism, two kinds A and B. Monarchy means you know. Soul ruler, right? Monarchy. Uh, and uh, it means Unitarianism. That God is only one person. And, and uh, monarchy, Monarchism A was adoptionism. It was, it's also called Paulism. Not the Paul of the Bible. Paul of, uh, what? So, uh, what is Paul come from? Tarsus. Not Paul of Tarsus, but Paul of Samosata. Okay. He said that Jesus became the Son of God only because he was adopted by God. Okay, so but he has no divine nature, and uh, uh, Monarchianism B is called also Modalism or Sabellianism. Following the proponent Sabellius, they believe that the three persons of God are nothing but three modes of one person. Uh, God appeared as the father in the Old Testament, as the son in the gospel time, and as the Holy Spirit in the church age. So it's really one person through all, you know, through all times. And that's called modalism, okay? And uh, and then Arianism, in the fourth century following Arius, uh, he believed that Jesus is the first of all creations. But although he created the rest of creation, so he's not eternal. He's not really God, God, but he's kind of a demigod. Okay, that was Arianism, and Arianism is revived to, in modern time as Jehovah's Witness. Okay, and, uh, and and these swings. Okay, finally, what were settled at the Nicene Orthodox in the fourth century, three twenty-five. Okay, and uh, uh, it believed that God is one God in three persons. Okay, and the three persons are uh, are not to be mixed. Okay, and they are not uh, one, neither are not neither they are not one in person, neither three in nature. They are one nature, three persons. Okay, so that's the foundation of trinitarianism. Okay, uh, it's the level one. Well, level two. Level one is one God. Level two is uh, three persons. Okay. But that did not finish it. There was an Apollinarianism following Apollinarius. Uh, he believed that Christ is divine, but only in his spirit. His soul and body are human. So he's divided, kind of, the head is God and the rest are human. Okay. Uh, and then there's another one on the other side, and Nestorius believed that Christ is divided this way, vertically. Uh, he has a divine side, Covering spirit, soul, and body, and the human side covering spirit, and soul, and body, but they are separate. So he's a schizophrenic, you know. <laughs> um, and of course, that's not true. And then you have an Eutychianism, who uh, followed Eutychus, who, who said that Christ's divine nature absorbed the human nature. So he's only one nature, okay, uh, or monophysic, one nature. Uh, And those were settled at the Chalcedon uh, Conference, the fourth conference, which gave us the orthodoxy of Christology. That Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. Not 50%, 50%, but 100% and 100%, but united together. And his two natures are, uh, he's one person, not two persons, one person, but two natures. And the two natures are Un, are united, unconfused, and inseparable. So, how do you understand it? I don't know. Do I understand it? I'm not sure. <laughs> but do I believe it? Definitely. <laughs> okay, so that's something mysterious. That's God. It's our, our things that cannot be explained. The glory belongs to God, right? So, those who can be understood is for us to obey. Okay. So, uh, and that even, even and that, because there are some people who consider Christ is one nature, the so-called monophysites, um, and some say monothelites, one will. And uh, these people s- still believe God is one nature, but they don't deny the human nature. They're just saying the human nature is controlled by, the, by this divine nature. So, in a sense, they're more acceptable. These people are the Coptics in Egypt and the uh, Syrian Orthodox in Syria, okay? And this happened in the, well, more than 5th century. It goes to the 7th century, actually. And at that time, Islam arose. Okay? And these Christians are persecuted, slaughtered by, by the Muslim. So now, do the rest of the Christians in Europe condemn these people as heretics? Or, well, embrace them as brothers? They should have done the latter, but they didn't. They just kind of stopped the condemnation coexistent okay and uh, uh, you can see that at least the early portion of these nuclear options are real it meant determining the eternal destination okay? the Reformation adds another layer of so-called boundary of faith the level one the boundary of faith okay you have seen Olympics, right? You see the award ceremony, right? They have level one, level two, level three for third person, second person, first first place, right? So um, this is like that. The boundary faces at the end of the, the, your your platform. Okay, Level one is monotheism. There is one God and no other. And this will exclude on the left atheism, skepticism, agnosticism, and then deism. On the right, it will exclude the pantheism, polytheism, and all the cults, okay? So monotheist and theist, actually, the biblical God is the only God. And above that, there is a Trinitarianism. There's one God, but this God is three persons. That it uh, defines Christianity versus what? Versus Judaism, versus Islam, and Jehovah's Witness, who falsely claim to be Christian, okay? And so that is level two. That is the traditional boundary of Christianity, but after 1,500 years, there will be, uh, There came the Reformation. Okay? And the Reformation added another level, the third level. That salvation is by faith alone, in grace alone, from Christ alone. Authority is scripture alone, and life is for the glory of God alone. It's called five alones of Reformation. They formed a third level of boundary of faith. For Protestants, we believe that within this realm, you are orthodox out of that your heritage. Okay? So the Catholics and the Protestants and the Eastern Orthodox, even Oriental, Oriental Orthodox, the non-Chalcedonians, regarded the first two levels as the boundary of faith. Anything within our Orthodox, that means they are saved, or anything without our heresies, that means loss. The Protestants accept three layers, okay? So we have a narrower boundary of faith, and we believe that because it is biblical and Bible is our highest authority. Now, Paul continued to say that he was fighting a spiritual war, therefore using spiritual weapons. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Paul admits that he walks in the flesh, um, in other words, being mere human. Not that he's fleshly, but he was a mere human. However, he's, he denies that he's fighting wars in the flesh. He is fighting a spiritual warfare uh, by God's power against God's enemy. Therefore, the weapons of spiritual warfare are spiritual too. They have divine power, and they can destroy the strongholds or fortresses of the enemies of God, such as false doctrines, etc. Okay. Uh, Ephesians 6 gave us the armor of God. There are six pieces of it. Uh, uh, Ephesians 6, 13 through 18. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore. So, Christians, your major position... In the spiritual warfare is standing firm. Marching is rare. Standing is a majority. Most of the time you are doing defense. Okay, Offense is only one by one weapon. The sword which is the word of God. Okay? And uh, so he said you, you have girded your loins with the truth. Truth is what holds you together. And then you have putting on the breastplate of righteousness. Which covers your torso, your heart. So you have righteousness uh, from Christ, and you live righteously, then you're not afraid of the, you know, being speared in your main torso. And then having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel peace, that is your shoe that you, carries you everywhere. And in, in addition to taking up the shield of faith, that is uh, protecting you from the flaming arrows of the evil one. And then you take the helmet of salvation, that your salvation is in Christ and is secure, that is protecting your head. And then, um, finally, um, the sword of spirit, which is the word of God. And he also mentioned with all prayer and petition. Okay, Of course, the best prayer is by the word of God, which is the f- sword of spirit. So anyway, the, the armor of God is necessary if you want to win the battles for God. Otherwise, you just being slaughtered. And Paul said that if you fight the war, you must do that by truth and in the Spirit. Verse 5, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. The knowledge of God is truth, and Jesus Christ is the truth, all right? So all of your knowledge of God must be centered and related and for Christ, okay? The enemies of God raise up speculations, which is probably some genealogy, and lofty things, probably lineage, either kingship, priesthood, or rabbinic uh, or ecclesiastical uh, relationships, you know, who's your teacher, etc. And they raised those up against the truth of God, which is centered in Christ Jesus, who was a Nazarene, not of the denomination, but because he is the branch of Jesse. Okay, He grew up looking a common man. He um, he, he was a carpenter, but he had the knowledge better than the best law teachers from the age of 12. Right, So he... Um, he is really the truth and the, the, the truly lofty one. Okay? Everything others, uh, every other thing cannot compare. Christians, spiritual warriors, they win by taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Uh, I can s- speculate what that means, such as thinking about Christ, living the life of Christ, preaching Jesus Christ, fighting under Christ, and giving glory to Christ. Everything is Christ-related. Only, only this way you can win. Why? Because he is your everything. Okay. And then uh, Paul gives the offering of peace before laying siege. This is the um, ethics of war in the Old, Old Testament, right? God says if you lay siege to a city, offer peace first. If they agree, then you spare their lives. If they don't agree, then you lay a siege, then you kill everybody who fight with you and leave those who don't. Right? So uh, you always offer peace first. And Paul is doing that now in verse six to seven. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. You are looking at things as they are outwardly. If Anyone is confident in himself that he is Christ, let him consider that again within yourself, that just as he is Christ, so also are we. So, Paul would use the nuclear option, which is anathema or church discipline, on the dis- disobedient faction, the followers of the super apostles, after the true believers settle on Paul's side. He doesn't want to hurt anybody who are his fellow believers by friendly fire, right? Clear, before I shoot, right? So that is what he's saying. And if the disobedient ones believe that they belong to Christ because they look on the outside, and Paul asks them to reconsider, for Paul and his team are also of Christ, and more so because Paul suffered for the truth. One of the standards I have discovered uh, of differentiate competing theories, which one is more likely true. Okay? I gave them two standards. Number one, first-hand access. You have the source. Number two, being persecuted for telling the truth. Okay? So if people tell something and they got rich and famous, uh, there is a likelihood that it's false. Because the world likes it. Okay, But if somebody tell something and then he got persecuted and he even died for it, and I think that's more likely he's telling the truth. Because by common sense, people don't lie to make trouble for themselves. Okay? If they lie, they, they, they trying to make something good. Uh, but if they still tell it, even though they are persecuted, I would say that has to be true. Right? The reason we believe in Jesus Christ, believe in the gospel, one big part is because the apostles were per- persecuted for telling Simply a testimony. I saw Jesus. He came back from the dead. It's just a testimony. But for that, they were killed. And they don't change the story. Right? But that tells us more than likely Jesus Christ did come back from the dead. It has to be true. And if that is true, the whole Bible is true. That's why I believe. Okay? So, I think Paul is is saying, hey, you think you're of Christ because you look at outside, look at us. We are also of Christ. And more so. Uh, and uh, if two theories are contradicting, it is impossible for both to be correct. Either one is wrong or both are. Okay? Paul is saying salvation is by faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, or the other saying is salvation is by faith plus works. Grace plus ceremonies. Okay? And, um, and what is the third one? Uh, Christ plus, let's say, mother of Jesus <laughs> so they're adding things okay and uh, and they cannot be both true right one of them is true the other is not or it could be both are are false that's an option too but Paul say I have I have the Holy Spirit I have seen Christ so he has the truth and in verse 8, Uh, to nine, it says, for even if I uh, boast somewhat further about our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be put to shame. For I do not wish to seem as if I would terrify you by my letters. Uh, Paul wants them to accept peace before the siege. He may seem to be boasting about his apostolic authority, which he would not do if not forced by the disobedient who questioned his authority, okay? But he indeed has that authority, given by God for the purpose of edifying others. Paul's letter may seem to be more severe than him in person, but it is ex- exactly for the purpose of not being severe when he visits in person. Okay? He writes a severe letter so he can avoid being severe when he was there in person, okay? And at that time, it really says the anathema, those who receive it would be cut off, okay? Truly, okay? So, uh, finally, he said in verse 10 to 11, do not underestimate me, okay? He say, okay. for they say, the followers of the super apostles, the disobedient faction, for they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive, and his speech Contemptible. Okay. Well, let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters when absent, such a person we are also indeed when present. Okay. Some among the Corinthians were saying that Paul's letters are mighty and scary, but by the experience in the past, Paul in person was unimpressive. Okay. He was perhaps short, bald, and half blind. And he talks a lot. He couldn't stop talking about gospel. Okay, you know when you talk a lot, every word is a cheaper. You know when you talk a few, every word is more precious. <laughs> People thought he's you know not serious. Uh, he not valuable anyway. And uh, and they also said that he spoke in a contemptible way. Probably by not using rhetorical techniques, not giving myst, uh, mystical secrets, or use bigger words, he might also spoke Greek with a heavy Hebrew accent. Okay? So it's not like a, a ivory tower person. Okay? And uh, um, Paul asked these people to reconsider that he might be as severe in person as young paper, if necessary. So that ends our 11 verses. It wasn't really short. <laughs> okay, let's summarize the, the, our lessons. Decisions with consequences. Okay, life is a series of decisions, and each having its own consequence. Okay, spiritual life is also. Accepting Jesus Christ as our Savior is the best decision one can make. It determines your eternal destination. However, there are more steps, more decisions to make. Accepting Jesus as Lord—that means master of life—more than just capitalized L-O-R-D, which means Jehovah, which means God. Okay, and uh, it's more than just saying that He is God. It's saying that He is my master. Okay, that decision is also one of the best decisions of life for he is love. And those who have decided to be his disciples and servants who have gotten to know his goodness and faithfulness, I don't think any of them regret it. Okay, uh, The problem is most people do not have enough faith to grow from a believer to a disciple and even to the level of a servant. I think that was the intention of God. You need you are saved as a believer. That's an infant, but you need to grow to be a disciple, okay? Which is a mature Christian, and then you become a minister. You serve. You find a place where you can serve. There are always places you can serve. Okay? There are always people who are less mature than us you know, that you can teach. Okay? And uh, and so on. So um, God could, in His mercy and love, wake up slumbering Christians by nuclear options. We are always given opportunities to avoid experiencing that by voluntarily choosing obedience, choosing obedience, okay? This is a much less painful option. Okay? I pray that all of us will take the olive branch before being shaken up. Okay? That's pray. God our Father, thank you for giving us this wonderful portion of the chapter, telling us that there is a strong and mighty and severe side of Paul and as with Christ and uh, we who are saved who have enjoyed your love we should not take that for granted we should not stay as just born again children we should grow up as mature believers and uh, uh, able servants we pray that come into our conscious consciousness, and we will choose obedience and be equipped and be used uh, by you and for your pleasure. We pray that will make you pleased with us and call us faithful when we see Jesus again. In his name we pray. Amen. Please stand once again. Let's conclude our singing together with We've a Savior to Show to the Nations. We've a Savior to show to the nations the path of sorrow has trod that all of the world's great peoples might come to the truth of God, might come to the truth of God. For the darkness shall turn to dawning, and the dawning to noonday bright, and Christ's great kingdom shall come to earth, The kingdom of love and light. Let's receive the benediction. May the love of God and mercy of Christ and fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us. Lead us to voluntarily choose obedience and grow and serve so that we don't need to experience the nuclear options. We pray in Jesus' name. Uh, I want to mention that uh, um, Lou Curtis has passed away from us. She's now in the embrace of God. And uh, um, who else? Oh, Joe and Betty Casey, who was a—you know—he Joe was an elder of the church until the time that I came, uh, many many years. They both passed away within 32 hours, I think. Yeah, uh, she first, and right? he second at the age of, I think, a, I think 89 and 94, I think, something like that. Yeah. Um, so remember them, pray for their families, and if there's anything God uh, put on our heart to do for them, um, just let it become natural to us. Okay. God bless you, God week. Oh, yeah, yeah. Salvador's mother also passed away in Mexico. Okay. So he's, I guess still there. And uh I, when he comes back, I don't know if he will be taken to 14 days again. So yeah, pray for him too. Okay. God bless you.